I know some people who grew up in privilege and didn't build the habit to keep that privilege. Yes. And I know people who are born without any privilege who built the habits and the discipline to gain privilege. Right. Are you hungry for more? You know what life has to offer. You sense it is radiating magic, but perhaps you feel like you're just not fully nourished by all there is to embody. Welp, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Here and now. Just what the doctor ordered. Welcome to the conversation, Well and Why, where we feast on fuel for the soul. These topics are designed to ignite that fire and maximize our human potential. Together, we can heal the system. Alone, we can heal our bloodline. Bon appetit. Welcome back to Well and Why, a spiritually nutritious production. I am your host, Allie, and this week's episode is with Chris Kennison. He is a financial educator teaching families how to become debt-free and financially independent, seeing as that is all of our plan, right? So I know I could use a Chris Kennison, but at least I got a couple hours with him, which was pretty cool and extremely helpful. You might be thinking, why are we talking about finances? And although that is a great question, my answer for you is that our financial well-being plays a huge role in the puzzle of our wellness. So we talk a lot about many things, but a few of the main points are obviously the money mindset, financial well-being, and how to save our money balance in regards to life, but also our finances, how to find your why, and the concept of being employed, but having, creating, or maintaining an entrepreneurial spirit as well. This was a really fun conversation to have. I really hope that you walk away with something, and I can't wait to hear from you what that is. So enjoy. Hey, Chris. Thank you so much for joining me on Well and Why. Hey, Allie. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Good. Happy birthday. Today is your birthday. Yes. Thank you so much. No, thank you for being on here on your birthday. That is so exciting, and I'm honored. Yes. Well, I figured, you know, what better way to celebrate my birthday than to share some things with people and hopefully have a big impact. Yes. And what are you? what else are you doing to celebrate today? Uh, okay. So this morning I did work a little bit this morning and then my wife and I, we just grabbed lunch and we got donuts for like our dessert tonight. Cause why wouldn't you? Uh, and, uh, we're doing this right now. And then about uh, a couple hours or so, we're going to go to dinner and have a drink or two and then come home and call it a night. Amazing. That sounds yeah. so nice. <laughs> okay, cool. So let's jump right into it. And sure. what, what is your favorite quote about the money mindset? If you have one. Oh, okay. If I had to ha- come up with a quote, um, it's less of a quote and more of a concept. Mm. Uh, the concept of uh, paying yourself first, right? And uh, I'm actually a big believer in giving money away, whether it's a tied to a church or to a, a charity or something like that, which maybe we can probably talk about that a little bit later too. But I think there's so many people who, you know, I'm very visual and I know that we're doing this over podcasts and there's no video, but 
uh, I always like to ask people, you know, I'm like, what percentage of someone's income do you think is like a good percentage for them to save? Kind of no matter how much money they make. And what do you think most people say? What percentage? 20? <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. A lot of people say 10, oh. right? So the fact that you said 20, fired up, that's awesome, right? So I'm like, okay, so after we give money away, let's talk about like saving money. And so what happens, I say, imagine every single person that you have to pay a bill to is lined up outside your front door. Okay, so you got to pay your rent or your mortgage, uh, you got to buy groceries, uh, your cell phone bill, um, I don't know, whatever it is that you pay a bill for. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, and we go to work and many people work very hard and they work many hours. And I'm like, so you go to work, you work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you make all this money. The question is, who do you pay first? Do you put yourself in the front of the line? Do you put yourself in the back of the line? Mm-hmm. And what most people do is they put themselves at the back of the line. Right. So they'll spend all of the money. If there's anything left over, they'll give it to themselves or their family. And I was like, okay, well, let me ask you a question. How does that make you feel that you're working your tail off and you're making all of this money and you're giving that money to people who don't give a you know what about yourself before you give it to you? How does that make you feel? And they're like, yeah, I I guess I never thought of it that way. It doesn't make me feel good. Mm. Right. Because at the end of the day, like Coca-Cola doesn't care about me. Um, You know, my my car company, the Toyota, Subaru, whatever, they don't care about me. Um, even my landlord doesn't really care about me. No one's going to care more about me and my finances than myself. Yep. But so many people, again, just that concept of paying yourself first, paying yourself first. And, uh, to me, it's not really about a dollar amount in the beginning. It's more just about the habit and the mindset that like, no, like I give money away and then I save money and then I can spend whatever else I need to on everything else. Yeah. That makes so much sense. So, so you would, how much would you say? What percentage would you say? Um, so that's the thing is I think personal finance is personal. Mm. Um, I think the problem with, you know, because I actually work with a financial education company. I work in the financial industry and it's very sales and quota driven. So a lot of people, um, you know, they kind of get sold something to save money in and it might not be in their best interest because it's supposed to be a personal decision. And so one recommendation that I could make for people, though, is it's something called the 50-30-20 budget, which, again, is not my concept. It, I've heard it before in multiple different places where the idea is 20% of what we make, kind of like what you said, would go to pay off debt and save money. Um, you know, 30% could go to, like, whatever it is you want in life, and then 50% goes towards your needs. Now, you know, I live in Southern California. You live in New York, right? And mm-hmm. so housing might be a little bit more expensive for us. So in fact, sometimes people like 50% of what they make goes towards like their apartment rent, you know, mm-hmm. or their mortgage. And it's like, okay, how the heck am I going to do this? And that's where, again, it becomes, it has to become very personalized. And so um, I actually like to talk to people about, again, it's more about habits and mindset. You know, we had mentioned this when we talked a, a week ago or so about uh, having me come on is, um, have you actually ever heard of the book, uh, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg? Yes. And I've brought it up actually in the past. Okay. So you've read it. I've listened on audio. Okay, good. So in that, there's a section in the book where he talks about uh, creating um, fitness habits, you know, Yep. and about how, uh, you know, people who study habits, they say, if you really want to create a good habit, you know, and you're going to go into the gym instead of like, you know, changing your diet and drinking more water and cutting out sweets and waking up at 5am and going to the gym, like every single day for every, you know, two hours a day, is you literally put on your shoes, you drive to the gym, 
you check in and then you walk straight out. Huh. Right. And you, and you do it like three days the first week and you make it so simple that you can't not do it. There's this guy by the name of BJ Fogg. He's a, a researcher up at Stanford University. He talks about the idea of tiny habits where he's like, hey, if you actually want to uh, if you want to start flossing your teeth, floss one, start with one a day. Don't even floss everything. Just start with one. Make it so easy that you can't not do it. But then over time, those little habits start to build and build and build. And it's the same thing with money, right? Is It's not so much about the dollar amount so much as is the mindset of I need to take some money and I need to save it. Whether it's five bucks, whether it's 50, whether it's 1%, whether it's 10%, you know, obviously I want to encourage people to be um, like financially independent. And that is, again, we can get into that topic a little bit later, but it's the basic concept of this is um, not having to worry about money anymore. You know, in other words, being able to live the life we want. And some people want to very live a very simple life. Um, you know, they want to have a shack in the middle of the woods and nobody bugs them. And they might spend like 300 bucks a month. And I'm like, fired up, that's awesome. And then other people want, you know, a lot of things. Maybe they're more externally driven and they want um, a private jet and they want cars and they want vacations. And that's like, okay, that's awesome too. But we can't really get to that end goal. We can't get to financial independence if we don't save money. And it could be age 30, 40, 50, 60. Um, but I think a lot of people don't really know what it is they want, like what the end goal is. So that's why I think so many people have a difficult time just saving money, you know, uh, whether it's 1%, 5%, 10%. I have no idea. I think I went on a tangent. I have no idea if that answered your original question. but No, yeah. it, it definitely did. I love the tangents. So bring them. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's funny. So I think what I heard something once on a podcast that I think really goes along with what you're saying right now. And it's basically that one of our biggest challenges is that we can really only do well for ourselves when we can imagine our future self as someone we know rather than a stranger. So similar sure. to what you're saying is like, well, we don't know what we want because we can't really see what we want in the future, you know, because yeah. we, we, it's hard to create that unless you really, really know. And, and even that things change, you, then your priorities change and your desires mm -hmm. change. So it's really it's never finite. And, um, I, would you say yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, there's something that I hear a lot of people talk about. Um, it's actually called the reticular activating system. Have you ever heard of that before? Mm, I feel like reticular is a word I've heard, but no, okay. probably not. <laughs> so it's kind of how the, how our brains are wired. So I'll use an example and, um, I'm going to pick on the ladies for a second. Not that I don't hear guys say this and please, I hope if there's ladies out there, um, you won't stop listening and say I'm sexist or anything like that. <laughs> but um, have you ever heard one of your girlfriends say, oh, my God, there's no good guys left in the world. All the good guys are taken. Every guy I date is just not a good guy. Have you ever heard anyone say that before? Probably. Yeah. Right. And guys say it, too. Yeah. Okay? But the question is, well, is that actually like a fact or is that just like a belief that that person has about life? It's almost like whatever beliefs we have, it's like we put on these glasses. And so we can only see what those glasses filter. Yes. Right? And the reason that it is the same thing with like cars. Like if anyone's ever bought a new car, before you buy the car, you never see it out on the road. But the instant you buy that car, you see it everywhere. Uh-huh. Or e even if you're in the process of buying a car, and I'm so not a car person, but when I'm sure. like in the market for a new vehicle – I don't even know of cars that exist. And then I start 
learning a little bit more about what's out there and then I see things everywhere and then I know, you know. Exactly. So the, the reason why is because our brains are actually wired to filter information and it's called the reticular activating system. And so what happens is it filters in information based on three things, essentially. Number one is um, uh, like survival, what we need to survive, like hunger and food and stuff like that. But then it also filters information based on our goals and dreams, what it is we want. But the more powerful driver is actually what our beliefs are. So most people, again, they don't know what they want. And so what drives them is their beliefs about life. And so when it comes to money, like you may have heard these phrases before, right? Like money doesn't grow on trees, a tree, right? <laughs> or, or, or money is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is oftentimes we, we get these beliefs and we don't even realize it because we get it as children yeah. or it's growing up experiences through life, whether it's our teachers or friends exper- experiences. And so those beliefs drive what we essentially what we get, if that makes sense. And so, so many people, again, we don't practice this. I mean, this is, oh, that's my wife, by the way. I don't know if you can see her. Yes, yeah. hi. She's just walking <laughs> in the background. Um, but uh, I mean, this is just basic think and grow rich stuff. None of the things that I'm saying right now are, are unique or original because people have been talking about it for years now where, you know, our brains, they do attract our beliefs. You know, people can call it the law of attraction. They can call it the secret. They can call it quantum physics, whatever. But the idea is this, is if, if we don't know what we want, we are going to get something else and it's going to be driven by our beliefs. And so oftentimes when it comes to money, people just have really bad beliefs about money. Mm. Like, um, like I'll use my wife as an example. If I say like, I love my wife, people are like, oh my God, that's so sweet. You know, but if I say I love money, people are like, whoa, 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 that's that, really <laughs> like, that's really weird. Like you're, you're just, you know, you're not a good person. And so you know, but if I said, you know, I love my wife and I respect her and I love spending time with her and, you know, she makes me a better person and this and that, you could also say the same thing about money because money is just a reflection of someone's character. You know, if, if you give money to someone who has bad character, they'll probably do selfish things. But I know plenty of people who actually do make good money and they save money and they're really great character people and they're constantly trying to do good in the world, right? And so what happens is, you know, we, we really do have to take control of our beliefs about money or recognizing what those beliefs are and rewiring them in our brain so we can attract or we can find more of the things that we want when it comes to our finances. Hmm. Do you have any tips for how, I guess it's not even just for money sake, but just in general, the just altering your own mindset and your beliefs, like how could you change a belief just by saying something out loud? Yeah. I mean, so this is where people kind of get like weird about like affirmations. We're like, oh my God, so you're just going to say it over and over and over and over and over. Right. And I was like, well, that's essentially how we get our beliefs is we keep hearing something over and over and over and over and over and we let it filter it in, you know? And so what's crazy is I tell people we're all programmed by something. Many of us, like the decision to not can, to cannot control our own programming is to give that power to someone else. So a lot of people are programmed by our culture, by television, by media, by the books we read, by the people we hang out with. So there's no way for our brain to not filter in information, right? So when people are like, oh, affirmations, that's so silly. I'm like, guess what? You're getting affirmations every single day from the commercials that we watch, from the music we listen to. No wonder you have such a bad opinion of yourself is because who's doing your programming? So. Um, you know, one thing that I do, this was something that was taught to me 
is again, it's to have a, a process, right? And this is something that I still go through. You know, I am not, I am not a master of this. I am still on my journey too. But one of the things is to focus on, you know, what is it that we want? Okay, so we're talking about money right now. So let's just talk about it with finances. When it comes to like, well, what do I like? Let's say it's a year from now, right? In fact, Ali, let's do this right now. Let's just like actually, I'm going to ask you these questions. Oh okay? my goodness! Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> So let's say it's a year from today. It's April 8, 2020. And not only are we celebrating my birthday, <laughs> but we're celebrating you hitting an income goal. You know, you made X amount of dollars over the, the next year. Okay. And so what, what number would that be for you? Could be 50 grand, could be 500 grand. What would you say if a year from now we were celebrating an income goal for you? What would it be? Oh, 100,000. Okay, good. We'll call it 100 grand. It's a good start. So the question is this, why do you want that hundred grand? And again, you don't have to get too detailed right now because I know you're interviewing me. No, it's great. But why is it, why is a hundred grand so important to you? It's important to me because I would, so I'm 27 years old. I have roommates, you know, and New York City is expensive. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are things I want that aren't superficial, like a dog. Because mm-hmm. I want that companion. <laughs> I, I don't get really get to take too many trips with the income that I have right now. So being able to afford visiting friends elsewhere or just traveling a little bit more. I mean, it, rather than really, truly living paycheck to paycheck. Okay. You know, I mean, it's fine for now. But in a year from yeah. now, it's not so fine. Okay, good. So now, next step then. Why is it so important for you to see your friends? Why is it so important to, to stop being paycheck to paycheck? Freedom. Okay. Connection. Okay. And it just feels like it's living. Like you're living when, you're okay. n- when you don't feel like you're in lack. Okay. So I try to Good. do that with my mindset, you know? Yeah. So when it comes to financials and you're looking at numbers that aren't just going to magically increase, I mean, until the day that it does. But yeah, yeah that's what I'd say. So if we actually kept going down this, uh, this exercise, I would keep asking you why, like, why is freedom so important? Why is this? Why is this? And until you, here's the thing, until you get to the point where you're about to cry, (laughs) when you start crying, that's when you found out what your why actually is, why it's so important to you. Mm. Now you have to attach that to saving money, right? Cause it's like, I, you know, I love having a dog too, right? But it's like, why is it that you want? that companionship? Why is it that you want that freedom? Why is it that making a hundred grand is going to change your life? Like focusing on that, spending a lot of time really digging deep, right? And most people, we, we won't do that because it's, um, it's difficult. Number one, number two, we don't like being alone. We like getting distracted by our social media and our phones, you know, and TV and stuff like that. And most of us, honestly, it's, it's, we've never actually, had someone teach us how to think deeply about why we want what we want. Okay. So that's step one is figure out why we want that hundred grand. Then the second step is, okay, well, what are we actually going to do to get to that hundred grand income? Right. And we won't go through that exercise right now, but it could be, I'm going to take on a second job or I'm going to create a business or I'm going to sell things or I'm whatever it is. You now have to create like, like action plan. Right. And then the third step is, like, okay, now you can actually start doing, the, like, implementing that plan. So part of what I do is when I do that process is I actually have, like, a piece of paper 
and I, I, I hand write it out. Right. And so I have, you know, I have some, like, I always like to start myself. Um, like I usually have, it's basically what I call my business plan. You can call it your life plan or whatever. And I always give my year a theme, right? It's so like this year, my theme is the year of flow. Like, in other words, I just want to be in the flow of the universe, right? Or I actually come from like, you know, a Christian background. So I'm like, I want to be in the flow of God and like feel God moving in my life and stuff like that. And so everything that I do is going to be try to center around that theme. So I have that. And then I actually focus on gratefulness, right? So I actually, I actually do this in the shower. It's interesting. I have this whole thing laminated. You can ask my wife too. She thinks I'm crazy because I say it out loud. Um, it's just a walk in and be like, what are you, who are you talking to? I'm like, I'm just saying, you know, my affirmations out loud. But then, um, I will think deeply about what I'm grateful for, you know? Um, and sometimes they're big things. Sometimes they're small things. Like I actually literally, as I'm feeling the, the hot water on my body, I just am so thankful and grateful that I even have hot water mm-hmm. because there's so many other people in the world that don't. And I'm thankful for the amount of money I do have in the bank because even if even if you have five dollars in your bank account, right, it basically puts you in the top eight percent of you know wealth in the world. It doesn't feel that way in New York or Southern California, right? But I focus on that. So I focus on what I already have, or I focus on the things that I believe are coming, all the good things, right? Then I actually have some some affirmations, and so for me, they're things that I either know that I am or things that I want to be. So I think they say things like, I am an exceptional husband. I am an exceptional leader and businessman. I am fit and healthy. I am focused and disciplined. So I usually have about 10. And then I have what are called my whys. Like, why am I working so hard? Why am I sacrificing so much? Because you can't get something for nothing. And so I have things like, well, I want to retire my mom. And I want to take care of my family. And I want to, you know, and so I have all 10 of those. And then I actually have what I want. What do I want to accomplish over the next month, three months, six months, a year, whatever. Um, and then I have, well, how am I going to do it? What daily actions do I need to take to get there? Now, what's crazy is a lot of people say, oh my God, Chris, that's like really intense. Okay. Yeah. But that's, in, that's what it takes to actually get what we want is it takes discipline and, you know, I don't want to say necessarily intensity, but you have to really, you have to rewire your brain because the instant you walk out your front door, everyone's trying to rewire it for you. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of laminating uh, something and putting it in, in the shower. Yeah. Like the best place to get silent is the shower in my life. Yeah. Well, there's also the, like, I, again, I've read stuff about this too, but um, the reason that a lot of people have good ideas in the shower is um, the hot water and, like, the steam, it does something with your brain. Your brain gets into different, like, energy waves. And so that's why, like, oftentimes people are like, yeah, I come up with my best ideas in the shower yeah. is because the environment causes your body to go into that state. So that's why I like to do it in the shower. Oh, I never read that. That's yeah. amazing and really makes so much sense. Yeah. When you say that you're, this is your year of flow. Yeah. Do you come up with a game plan of how you plan on flowing or what that feels like to you, you know, like I choose a word every year as well, actually. And mm-hmm. in 2015, I started doing that, but it wasn't until this year that I really started defining like what it is that word even means to me. Okay. You know? Yeah. So sorry, what was the original question again? <laughs> so the question is basically, do you come up with ways of how to define what that word that year means to you? Yeah. Okay. So, um, at the beginning of the year, 
right? Um, I usually try to get quiet for at least a couple days, right? And I really try to, you know, you could use the phrase like set your intention. You know, I think a lot of people like that. A lot of people think it sounds like too, I don't know, like hippie or whatever. Um, and I'm like, it's just how the brain works. So I try to get quiet and I've actually been practicing uh, a lot more meditation lately. I started practicing mindfulness meditation about 10 years ago. I was introduced to it and I've been dabbling in it for a few years, but got really serious about it over the past, basically since the beginning of the year, but even before that, right? Because, you know, when it comes to prayer and meditation, I've heard it, I've heard it explained this way. Prayer is when you talk to God or the universe, but meditation is when you listen to God or the universe, right? So I guess the question I ask is, you know, what is it that I need to work on to become a better, a better version of myself? I am not a type A personality, right? I'm actually much more relaxed, but I beat myself up like crazy. I think a lot of times people who have big goals and dreams or have a little bit of, of ambition, uh, they will, they will definitely beat themselves up because, uh, they're they know that they have so much more potential. You know, um, I've heard it used this way, uh, blissful dissatisfaction. I actually learned that from uh, one of my my company's like agency chairman. His name's Ed Milet. He's got like a world-class podcast that I want to recommend other than yours, of course, <laughs> to other people too. But he talks about this concept of being blissfully dissatisfied. In other words, you can be happy and grateful and yet still know that you have more potential in you to do bigger things. So at the beginning of the year, I was just really frustrated with myself because I was like, I know I can do more. I know I can do more. I know I can be farther ahead. I know I can retire my mom this year. I know I can do these things, but I wasn't like there yet. And so I would sit and I would ask myself that question of like, what is it that I need to work on this year to essentially level up? How am I going to level up this year? And when I thought of that question, I thought of like just being in flow. In other words, putting in the work but then detaching from the outcome, right? I've heard it described this way is you have to have high intention, but low attachment, mm -hmm. right? So know it is what you want and then put in the work and then just kind of let go and be like, hey, I as long as you're putting in the work, because if you're not putting in the work, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. But putting in the work and just detaching and having this sense of peace and certainty that what I'm working for is eventually going to come to me whether it's this year or the next year or the next year after that. So for me, that's, that's how I kind of define that word is I really think about what is it that I need to work on this year to help me get to where I want to get to. And I don't want to say it's like, it's not like the heavens open up and like a word just like sprinkles down and angels sing it from the heavens. <laughs> But you kind of just know you'll you'll find it again. We, you find what you're looking for, your RAS, your reticular activating system. And I think like at that time, I saw a book title called The Power of Flow. And then I saw another one about flow and I saw another one. I was like, OK, when you start to recognize it, that kind of. You kind of know you kind of know on the spot, like, yeah, that's OK, that's my word. Definitely. I this has that. nothing to do with money, by the way, but it totally matters. No, absolutely. Everything has to do with money, I think. Well, yeah. I'm pretty sure. It's funny you were, you were talking about that because I was recently just talking to a tenant. I manage a building for a co-working space, and uh, I was talking to a tenant about that the other day of like what an interesting place it is to be where 
you feel ready for that next thing in whatever you're talking about, not even necessarily your career, but whatever it is. And you're you're grateful for what that what you have at the moment brings to your table, but you still feel ready to leave it. And yeah. and it's that just like I'm kind of unhappy here, but I'm also really happy to have it. So yeah, it's this weird place. And he's like, they're not mutually exclusive. You can still be grateful and want more. And I was just like, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's cool that there's a word for it. <laughs> yeah. And I think, uh, I think too, I think this was, a good, was something I was going to say earlier to one of your other questions is um, I think it's very hard for people to actually feel what life would be like when they do have what it is they're looking for, right? Like I had mentioned this to you. I sent you a, a direct message through uh, Instagram and I was talking about Dr. Joe Dispenza, right? And how he's, he's a neuroscientist and he does a lot of work with like meditation. And he talks about like, you know, when it comes to changing your life, you know, that we oftentimes we memorize emotions, right? And so this is why like, I'll use this example with my wife and I the other day. Um, so my wife and I, over the past couple of months, we had some good cash flow months. We saved a bunch of money. Um, and then a bunch of things are coming up, just business-related expenses, life-related expenses, all of that. Um, but we also want to do some fun things, you know. Um, Ariana Grande's out in L.A., so we're going to go and try and see her, you know, just have some fun and do that. Yeah. And so I know that these bills are coming up. And the other day, literally, I think it was like two days ago, my wife said something to me. She's like, yeah. And then, you know, our anniversary trip is going to be great. We're going to go to that hotel and then we're going to go see Ariana Grande. And I instantly had an emotional reaction where I was like, but we have all these other expenses coming up, but I don't know if we're going to have the money. And I don't know. I don't know. And oh my God, it was crazy because I've memorized that emotion. The money is there, but all of my previous experiences have wired my brain in a way that when we have to spend money, I go into this weird tailspin, yep. right? And so what happens is so many people have memorized emotions, negative emotions associated with money that even when, like, I don't know if this happened to you before. I think it happens to a lot of people is um, somehow extra money comes into us, whether it's like, I don't know, a birthday or a graduation or our tax return or something like that. And so we have all this money and we take a deep breath like, oh, my God, I have money. But then literally the next two months go and you're like, where did it go? And then you're back into that stress. It's because we've memorized these emotions about money. And so if, if people are given money, it doesn't it, it's, it doesn't solve their problems because the problem is, is themselves is the, the, the not the energy, the, the emotions they memorized around money. You know, and so what happens is it's very difficult for people when they are, I'm just going to use this phrase, like when they're broke and I don't use that in a derogatory way, but they're just like struggling financially to sit down and take 20 to 30 minutes and actually visualize and feel, get their body into where it's feeling as if they don't have any money problems, that they have the money in the bank, that they're living the life they want and actually rewiring their brain to do that. Number one, we're never taught how. We don't learn that in school. I, I didn't have a class in high school or college about, you know, visualizing goals or goal setting or how to make things, how to create something from nothing, you know? So our education system doesn't do a good job of that. Mm. But so many people, this, they, they, that's why so many people go through life and the same thing keeps happening over and over and over is because they've memorized these emotions and anytime there's a trigger, 
you know, this cycle goes and they can't get out of it. So when it comes to money, when it comes to the mindset of money, one thing I would encourage people to do is actually once you know, like what you want and why, right, um, is to sit down daily even. I try to do it three times a day. That's one of my mentors. What he taught me was like to do it morning, lunch, and night, even if it's for 10, 15 minutes each. But to sit down in a quiet space and visualize and feel what you want your life to be like. It's not easy in the beginning. Oh my God. And there's some times where you sit down and life is happening and like you're just having one of those days and you don't want to do it. But that's the exact time it's the most important. It's so easy to visualize and feel good when life is awesome. But whenever we have one of those days, that is actually, it's a hundred times more important that we do it then. Totally. One of my um, episodes was with my yoga teacher and she's so wise and she was talking a lot about how a lot of life is living in the muck and mm-hmm. and learning how to enjoy life in the muck. And it, that's in between the good and the bad or the really high highs, you know? It's just like that time where life just feels like, eh. And I love these conversations because I was driving home today and I, I always look forward to these calls. Like these are usually yeah. the best part of my day, a huge part of my week. And yeah. I was sitting in my car and I'm like, I am in the muck, but, mm. I, but I'm good, you know? I'm in a day where I feel like I'm in the muck but I'm not really, you know, it just feels like it. And then to sit there and realize that like, I'm, I'm really doing a lot better than my brain is telling me I'm doing right now. And it's for whatever outside circumstances, but always having something to look forward to is really helpful. But I forget why I just went on that tangent. Oh, like taking that time. You were talking about taking that time. Yeah. And doing it on a day where you're not feeling so great. And I, I love that you do that every day. And now it's just a thing you do. So you probably don't even, I mean, you don't even forget, do you? Well, so here's the funny thing. Everyone always asks like, uh, or not ask, but you know, have you ever heard the studies of like, oh yeah, it takes like 21 days for a habit or 67 or this yes. or that. Yep. And the way I've heard it is no, a habit, you have to do it for the rest of your life because the instant you stop it, it's no longer a habit. Mm. Right. And so, um, like there are days, I'm not going to lie, there are days where I, I I don't forget to do it, but I just, I get caught up in the day. Yeah. You know, I don't make it a priority. That's actually something that I'm working right now is, you know, making it a priority. I think, again, there's so many outside forces that are trying to steal our attention, you know, that are trying to uh, get us away from what it is we really want. Again, I think we talked about it earlier. I think that's why so many people have a difficult time figuring out what they want is because there's so much distraction in the world now. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, I mean, I, there's days where I live in the muck too. Um, and there's days where I accidentally don't visualize. Um, but I, I could tell you this when I am on it, when I'm like every morning, afternoon, evening, and I do it for like days on days of on days, it's crazy what happens. It's crazy what uh, the, the, the good things that happen, but I should say this too. Here's the, I don't want to say the dangerous part. Um, there's actually, it's, it's from a book called, this is, I learned it from a book called the, the war of art, not the art of war, the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. 
And uh, it's about anyone who's a creative. So, you know, anyone out who's part of your audience who's like a creative person, whether it's entrepreneurship, art, music. Um, but he even applies it to like fitness where he's like at any point in your life when you want to make a good decision that's going to improve your life, there's this force in the world. And he calls it resistance. He's like, you can call it evil. You can call it the dark side of the force. You can call it Satan, whatever you want, right? That the instant you make that decision, it's going to do everything it can to throw you off your game. So what happens is most people, when they make a decision that's in their best interest, their car breaks down or they get in a fight with their loved one and they're like, where the heck did that come from? Or they get sick or something like that. And so what most people do then is it throws them off their game and they forget to focus on their goals and, and meditate and visualize and do all that and put in the work. And it's almost as if that force is like, sweet, we won. You know, we got that person off their game. So when people actually start doing this, when they start visualizing and they get in that zone and they put in the work, they just got to know crazy stuff is going to happen that seems like it's actually bad. But that is actually a sign of progress that they're on their way to something greater. Mm. That's what people don't realize, right? So if you're like, if, if something, I don't want to say, like, I don't like to use the word good or bad, right? But if there's something that bad that happens, instead it's like flipping the switch and be like, okay, something good's going to come from this. This means I'm on the right direction. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to double my efforts then. Yeah. I don't always succeed in that though. I still struggle with it too. But when I've noticed over the past couple of years, when I start to change my mindset like that, right? Like let's apply it to money. Let's say that, you know, we started to save a little bit of money, save a little bit of money, save a little bit of money. And then boom, something happens. Our fridge goes out and we're like, man, like I was doing so good. Now I got to take that money out and fix my, fix my fridge. It's like, no, 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 no. You're on the right track. That's actually a sign that you're progressing, that you're building that skill. And it's, you're, you're supposed to learn from this. What good can we learn from this? And you'd be like, well, um, if I didn't have the money, I would have had to put it on a credit card and it would have put me in debt and put me even further in the hole. So that's good, right? That I actually had the habit to do it. Now I'm excited. I want to save more money. <sighs> so taking that problem or that challenge that we're facing and then changing it to be like, okay, what can I learn from this? I know it sucks right now, right? But I'm going to get stronger. What good can come from this? What is, how is my life going to be improved? How's other people's lives going to be improved, Right. And so applying that to money is so important. Yeah, I love that. That's a great example. Um, would you say that it's because we can't necessarily grow if we're not challenged? And even if it's not a challenge of, you know, what we're seeking, but mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess like you're not going to grow unless you're being challenged. Yeah. I mean, so I use a couple of different examples. One is, uh, let's like use fitness. Okay. And let's say someone wanted to get physically stronger. What that means is they're going to have to go to the gym and put their body under stress, right? Like if they want to bench press more weight, they're going to tear their muscles so that they can be rebuilt stronger so they can push more weight. Right. It's the same thing with anything else in life is the only way that we can actually get stronger, whatever that means in our faith, in our fitness, in our finances, in our relationships, is there's going to have to be some sort of stress on stress on our body or stress on our mind or stress, stress on our spirit and realizing that that's actually part of the process, right? Like if I go to the gym and I just pick up like five pound weights 
and I go to the bench press and I'm pushing five pound weights, I could do it for the next year. I ain't going to get stronger. I have to put on heavier weight to get stronger, which means that I, I kind of think it's funny, you know, like the, 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 I guess it was Jay-Z who's saying more money, more problems. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's kind of true because as you become more successful, you're, you have more problems, right? But you also have the ability to handle them, right? Or the way I like to say it is more money, still problems, right? Just because you have a bunch of money doesn't mean that your problems go away. Right. So that's one example I use. And the second example I use is like being on a balance beam, you know, cause I actually have a lot of people who, you know, they, they struggle with the whole concept of work life balance, you know? And they're like, well, I want to make more money, but that means that I have to like take time away from X, Y, and Z. And I want to be balanced. And I'm like, okay, well, let's imagine that you were on a balance beam. The only way that you can stay balanced is if you're not progressing and moving forward on the balance beam, right? Like if you want to move forward on the balance beam, you're going to have to take a step and you may lean to the left a little bit. So what does that mean? When you take the next step, you're going to have to lean back to the right a little bit. And what does it mean to like progress forward? Again, I don't know. That depends on each person. You know, maybe it's they want to be um, more connected to their uh, spiritual life. You know, it's like, okay, well, if that's the case, then that might mean another area of your life doesn't get as much attention right now. But then later on, you're going to pay more attention to that. Right. And so it's like, well, I want to, I will, uh, when it comes to money, they're like, well, I want to make more money. I'm like, okay, well, you do realize that that means you're going to have to sacrifice other things, not, not forever, but temporarily. So what does that mean? You might have to have a conversation with your partner and say, Hey, listen, for the next three months, right. I'm just going to put my head down and work really hard. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't want to spend time with you. And I want to be very intentional with the time we spend. So I'm going to take like every Friday night, like clockwork, is date night. And from seven o'clock to 10, I don't exist to anyone else but you. But outside of those hours, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to get to work. Um, but yeah, coming back to the balance beam, it's just like, that's, that's life. I mean, if we want to become a upgraded version of ourselves, and again, how people define that, that's, that is a personal choice, but we're going to have seasons of our life where things are going to be, certain areas are going to be unbalanced, but that's okay because then later we can go back. So, yes. yeah, I completely agree because my first year of choosing a word in 2015 was balance. And that year was when I realized there's no such thing. All you can do is your best to attain it. If that's what you're seeking. Other than that, there's going to be more of this here this week, more of this here this week, months, same thing. Yep. And on a broader scale, same thing. So, yeah. I mean, it's a great thing to seek to attain, but at the end of the day, you'll be more balanced if you're less worried about like not falling off the beam. Yeah. So remind me again, what was your, what's your word for this year? Uh, commitment. Commitment. Ooh, yes. I like that. Yeah. Okay. I had realized it was also a recurring theme where, you know, I wanted to start something and then didn't finish it. And I've, started a lot of things like courses, you know, just online courses and didn't finish them. And my whole life I've wanted to be an entrepreneur. Nowadays, I'm questioning that how important that is to me. But uh, at the end of the day, like at least having this for the rest of my yeah. life is maybe perfect. And um, but just committing to it because it's what I want. 
it's what's going to get me further in my goal because I am in a job where I feel a little stagnant and where my growth feels a little stunted. But then I took it upon myself that if, if it's not a new job, I mean, I wanted this with or without whatever job I have. But yeah. and then I was just like, all right, well, the only way this is going to work is if I commit. So so I did commit to like three months of really not doing too much. And luckily it was around the cold, the coldest parts of the season and really learned about what to do, learned the process. And now I still, you know, still have to sacrifice some things, but I can now I know what I'm doing where I can weave it in and out of everything else. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting, number one, is I always like to encourage people to do change something for 90 days. Anybody can do That's why like P90X was so popular is like anyone can do something for 90 days. And if it doesn't work, okay, then you know, and you can just like stop it in 90 days. It's only, it's literally three months of your life. Like seriously, are you that scared that like three months of your life, you have to make a commitment for something? (laughs) Number one. Number two, I think it's really interesting that you're like, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I don't know like how important that is to me anymore. Right. Which is great. But what I find so interesting is that, you know, being, I'm not like anti-job and like everyone, like being a job and being employee is terrible. What I find interesting though, is that for all of human history, except for like the last maybe hundred years, people didn't have jobs for the most part, right? People were like self-employed, like they had a trade or they had something and they would, that's, that's how they would make a living. And so what happens is like you would be an apprentice and you would work under someone else. And then once you learned how to do it, you would go off on your own. And so what I encourage people to do is, and this comes from looking at like, like again, I, there's a, a group of people called the baby boomers right now, and they've been employees their whole life. And it looks like over the next five to 10 years, they're gonna have a really tough time retiring. And so what I encourage people, especially people in our generation, 20s, 30s, even early 40s, is like, we're gonna have to be a, a group of people that really does, uh, I don't wanna say become entrepreneurs, but have an entrepreneurial spirit. And here's what I mean by that. I think it's 100% okay to have a job that pays our bills. But we should be working on something that really, you know, light, again, it could be something we're passionate about. It could be something where there's a need, right? But realizing that being an employee for most people is not really going to allow them to live the life that they want to live. Right. And so to take on a job and realize that, okay, this job right now, it has me and it gives me this life. But I need to figure out a way that while I'm making money here to create something on my own and eventually I can transition to that full time. I'm not. And I think sometimes we we uh, we fetishize entrepreneurship because um, what do they call it? Survival bias. Right. We hear all the stories of like the Jeff Bezos, the Amazons and the Walmarts and the this and that. And it's like, okay, yeah. But if you think of all of the stories of people who like failed miserably. And so I really encourage people, especially because part of the money mindset is like is making more money. I know it's really weird to talk about that because, again, a lot of people have negative reactions about making more money because like, oh, if I make a bunch of money, then like my family won't like me or people won't like me or my friends will be like, oh, you've sold out, whatever. Okay, so I'm like, yeah, but if, if we think about it from just a pure numbers fact based standpoint, if I actually want to create more financial stability, I'm going to have to save more money. There's really only three ways I can save more money. I can spend less money, I can make more money, or I can do both. 
Mm. When it comes to spending less money, though, we can't cut our expenses to zero unless we're unless we want to like live off the grid in like Mesa, Arizona and collect our own rainwater and stuff like that. If we're going to be a part of modern contemporary society, we're going to have to spend money. So I'm all for cutting expenses. We all spend money on things that we don't need. But if I really, really, really want to get to financial stability, I'm going to have to figure out ways to make more money and then save it. A lot of people don't have the resourcefulness to figure out how to make money outside of their job because so many for, for 12 years, 15 years, 20 years of education, like when we go from kindergarten through college, we're not really taught to be resourceful, right? This is a different conversation for a different day because I don't know if I ever told you I used to be a college English professor, right? So different conversation, like a year from now, you can bring me on and talk about this, okay? <laughs> but so many people, if they lost their job, they wouldn't know how to make money on their own. And people always say things like, oh, you got to have money to make money. I'm like, no, BS, watch this. Go onto Craigslist and type in free furniture, Okay, and then go pick up that piece of free furniture, then go back on Craigslist and say, hey, table on sale for 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You just created 50 bucks from nothing. Right. And I know some people are probably like, oh, yeah, but you had to have money to make the table and this and that. Okay, you're just being cynical. Right. And like that's the you know, the beautiful thing about being a cynical is you're always right. Yes. But there's so many different ways if we're resourceful that we can make more money. So if someone's like, Chris, I can't save money right now because I don't make enough. I'm like, cool, go on to Craigslist. I'll go on there right now, right now with you. We will find something together that you can pick up and sell for 50 bucks. Boom, you're going to save 50 bucks this month. Yeah. The, the challenge though is when we make more money, the tendency is to what? Spend more. We call it lifestyle inflation. So it's not just about making more money because then we're like, well, now I can buy a nicer car and I can move into a nicer apartment or buy a bigger house or take a nicer vacation. And it's like, no, you have to, uh, you have to, to, again, focus on your, focus on your values, focus on your goals. What do you really want and why? And then attach saving money to that thing. Right. So I always highly encourage people as long as it's legal, moral, and ethical, by the way. Okay. To figure out how to make more money. That's amazing. Yeah. Poshmark is also one of those things similar to Craigslist, but you can go on and sell your own belongings where Oh, okay. Yeah. It's an app. I've heard or, about that. Yeah, it's an app or a website. My coworker was like making some side cash. Um, you just have to put in a little bit more work, you know, you just gotta take pictures of your things and ship it yeah. out once it's sold and that's about it. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing too about like the entrepreneurial spirit is most people like we're terrible bosses for ourselves. Right. Like I see it all the time where, you know, we will show up at 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. We will wake up early to go work for somebody else. But then we quit our job to become an entrepreneur or like, yeah, now I got time and freedom. So I'm going to go ahead and show up at like 11 a.m. and I'm going to work till one. I'm going to take lunch. And then like we wonder why people fail. Uh. Right. Because it's like, why is it that when we work for someone else, we're so willing to put in more time than we're working for ourselves or our own family? It should be the opposite. And that's why I think it's so interesting. I'm kind of going like, I, I, I apologize if I feel like I'm getting up on a soapbox right here, <laughs> but I get so, it's so weird to me. Like, so I'll use my example. Okay. Cause again, I can only talk about myself. Right. So many people tell me, cause I usually right now I'm at a point in my life where, you know, I'm relatively young and we don't have as much responsibility. My wife and I don't have kids yet. So I get it. If you have kids and you have a mortgage, it's a little bit different. Right. But, um, I work really hard. I don't work as hard as I could. There's some days where I take it easy because all of us are kind of naturally lazy. But there'll be days where I work 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And people are like, oh, Chris, don't work so hard, man. You got to take a break. You know, like you got to live in the now. And I'm like, guess what? You don't see that like every every day I take a little bit of time for myself. But I want to retire my mom. 
retiring my mom is a heck of a lot more important than me coming home at five o'clock and watching TV for an hour. Right. And like, when did it become such a bad thing to be a hard worker? Like if you were in a relationship, would you want to be in a relationship with someone who's lazy or works hard? Now I get workaholism. Okay. And that's an issue in itself, but there's a difference between working hard and being addicted to work, you know? And so it's so interesting to me that people will work harder for a boss than they will for themselves or their own family. And that's why I think a lot of people fail in their entrepreneurial endeavors is because they don't have the habits built to actually be successful when they don't have an external boss telling them what to do. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought about it like that, but that's definitely what, what happens, I think. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't sit here and think, I'm going to start working earlier and end later. You know, I mean, I do think that because just from the experience of having a podcast and realizing I love doing this and I can spend all day working on it. And in fact, I'd rather. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I mean, it could be hours and hours and hours and I'm like not bored or I'm not, you know, I mean, yeah, I need breaks and I need to talk to people when I'm just like editing all day, but yeah, I can definitely understand how if you really actually love what you're doing, then mm-hmm. it's easier to just put more time to it. Yeah. But um, waking up and not having that place where you have to be, otherwise you can lose your income. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can't lose your income when you're an entrepreneur, but you kind of can because it's time spent that you could be making money or working yeah. towards making money. Yeah. And again, that's why I encourage a lot of people, if they're going to figure out ways to make more money, it's like, don't quit your job right away. Like, again, everyone's different. Everyone has a different personality. This is general, like general advice. But it's like, if you have a job that pays your bills, use that as a baseline and learn your mistakes without the fear of like losing your apartment. Yes. Right. Because there's a difference between external pressure and internal pressure. And sometimes we do need that external pressure. But again, if you're connected to your why, if honestly, every single freaking day you're reading your whys and you're reading your goals and you're creating that internal pressure, that's so much more powerful than the external pressure. And eventually you'll get to the point where consistently cash flow from your business or your side hustle or whatever is going to be the same as your regular income. And now hopefully you have a bunch of money saved up because you weren't spending all of that extra money, right? That you were saving it because you know what your whys are and you know, you're trying to get away from that nine to five type of life. And now you can take that leap, but you actually have that safety net, right? I know a lot of people are probably going to disagree and be like, no, you got to go big or go home. And I'm like, yeah. And you could also like ruin your life that way. Mm-hmm. And most people are not wired like that, right? Most people Right. It kind of goes back to uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of like Tony Robbins. He talks about like the six things that everybody like that are the essential human needs. Right. About certainty, uncertainty, connectedness, all of that. Yeah. You know, and so there's a lot of people who like me, I'm not the back against the wall. I'm going to figure it out. Like, no, I need stability. That's actually one of my core values is stability. And so one of the things that I'm obsessed with right now is creating that stability so I can take more risk later. Does that make sense? It's not avoiding risk, but it's creating a foundation that you can take more risk because you have that foundation. I think that's why it's so good to have a job and then be making money some other way. Totally. That's so smart. Actually, this woman I know and I follow, and she actually was the leader of this 5 a.m. accountability group that I was in for a few months. And she calls her day job her investor. 
Yeah, I love so, it. So I know. So she'll be like, oh, I'm, I got, all right, guys, I got to go to my meeting with my investor, <laughs> yeah. which is like an all day thing, you know, but it's just so funny. And I love that. And that was such a great way to look at it when it comes to a job where maybe you don't feel super satisfied at the moment, but they're investing in you. And that's the other thing is jobs are so great because they are teaching you. And like you said, I mean, while you're learning your mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. there are so many mistakes that I've made on at my job or just like being in an atmosphere with coworkers and, you know, versus just being at home. So many things like societal mistakes or just personal or job related mistakes that I've made that I've learned that I can utilize in my life elsewhere and in the future if and when I do become an entrepreneur one day or even for my next job. But my next job will teach me more things and more skills that will be able to bring to my own table, you know? So it's like, it's not the worst thing. Like you don't have to just jump from that job and into entrepreneurship just because you feel sick of that job. Find a different, more challenging and exciting job. That's going to provide you more skills. That's going to benefit you more down the road. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's interesting what you're kind of, you're saying. It reminds me of this idea that we, we need to give our, our self permission that it's okay to want more. It doesn't make us a bad person. Right. It doesn't make us evil. It doesn't make us greedy, greedy, right? But to actually give ourselves permission. Again, I don't think this is an ideal uh, um, like example. But again, it goes back to the idea of being blissfully dissatisfied. Is like take your favorite food, whatever that food may be. And let's say that you're actually – you're hungry. And you take a bite of that meal and you're like, oh my god, it tastes so good, <laughs> right? I'm so thankful for this. But that doesn't mean you're going to go back and want more. And it's okay, Right. Because I think a lot of times people think it's like a zero sum game where if I have more, that means someone else has less. Mm. And yes, I think there's some societal issues. There's some systemic things that we can fix and make better. But again, it's it's giving ourselves permission that it's it is okay to want more. But I also believe this. The more that you're given, the more you have to give back. That's why it's so important. And we haven't you know, I don't know. We're going to have time to talk about this, but. That's why it's so important. We have to give money away. Let me talk about that really quick then, because this honestly, I wish I would have started with this. Most people I know really do believe in like giving money away, right, to charity or to a church or something like that. But a lot of people don't. So question, Allie, why do you think people struggle giving money away, like giving it to charity, even when they believe in that work? Because maybe they fear that they will lack if they give it, that it won't come back. Exactly. That's so in, that's exactly what it is. Cause a lot of people think it's like, well, it's cause I don't have enough. And I'm like, okay, well let's go over your bills and your income right now. Hey, that's crazy. You have an extra thousand bucks. Where's that going? And they're like, uh, I don't know, target, right? <laughs> cause you go in to buy like toilet paper and you buy like the whole store. <laughs> and so most people though, it's actually what you just said is they believe that if they give money away, that they won't have enough for themselves. And so what that does is that literally cuts them off from more good things coming to them. Right. It's like literally a law of the universe. Like it is quantum physics science is that the energy you put off will attract the same energy and that if you give money away, it will actually come back to you. I know it sounds weird. I know some people are like, oh, you know, like uh, that again, that sounds like, you know, law of attraction stuff. And I was like, okay, it's, it's just it is science. People are doing studies about this. This is how our universe and physics work. So what I really encourage people to do is if they struggle with giving money away or they've never done it before, I'm like, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the bank and I want you to take out $30 in single $1 bills. And for 30 straight days, your job is to give $1 away every single day 
And every time you give it away, it's about the feeling, being grateful and thankful that you don't need this dollar and that it's going to improve someone else's life. I promise people that at the end of that 30 days, crazy good things are going to happen. Other things are going to happen too because they're going to get 10 days in and they're going to have that 20 bucks and be like, I really need this 20 bucks for something, especially if they're like they're paycheck to paycheck and they're struggling financially. Like they're really – that's – again, when that moment happens, that is the most important time that they need to give that dollar away. I don't want to say it's like a test, but literally that is the key moment right there that they need to keep going, right? And so just to give the money away and have this absolute certainty that something – later on down the road is going to come at the exact moment they need it to happen. And it's crazy. So that's why it's like, to me, the most important thing, anytime Amy and I make money, the first thing we do is we do 10%, right? So we give 10% away. We give it to uh, an animal shelter that Amy volunteered at. Uh, we give it to one of our churches. We give it to a, a charity that works with children. Um, and then sometimes we'll just give it to random causes. And in the past, I used to just give money away because I'm like, well, I know it's good for me and I know it's supposed to come back. But lately what I've been doing is really visualizing and feeling how is this money going to improve the world, right? How is it actually going to change someone's life? So whether it's 50 bucks, whether it's 500, I think to myself like this money, I don't know how it's going to do it, but I know that by giving this money, it's going to do something good, right? And when I do that, not only do I feel better, it puts me in a better state, but good things happen. So I would just highly, highly, highly recommend people if they are struggling financially, as counterintuitive as it sounds, Give money away. Take $30 out of your bank every day for the next month. Give a dollar away to someone who it looks like they need it. I'm going to try that 30 days, $30. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and then in, in a month, you call me again, right? Or yes. you send me send something through Instagram and just tell me how it went. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> it sounds like fun to be – because there are times, even just – where was I yesterday? Somebody – yeah, somebody was like Saturday. Someone was paying for coffee and their their total was something 50 right? Like 50 yeah. cents. And she didn't have 50 cents on her. And I was looking through mine, see if I had 50 cents on me for her, but I was going to just give her a dollar, say here, just use this. But then mm -hmm. she pulled out a dollar. But if that was something I was doing, I would have naturally quickly right off the bat been like, here, just take this, use this, you know? Yeah. And, but it's something where I was like too slow to think I should just give her my dollar yeah. because I have $1 left after the, after my coffee transaction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I think that'll be cool to just be like ready and searching yeah. for somebody and a reason to give it. Yeah. Cause watch this. Once you start looking for someone to help, what are you going to find all of these people that need help? Cause you find what you're looking for, Yeah. you know? And so again, like bringing it back to money, like let's talk about, okay, so now let's actually have like a goal. Let's say like this month, I'll use you as an example, Ali. It's like outside of your job, maybe it's like, I want to make an extra thousand dollars, right? It's not your job to figure out where it's going to come from. But if you say to yourself every day, like, I'm so thankful and grateful. I know that thousand dollars is coming to me. I don't know when it's coming, but I know it's coming. Eventually that money is going to find you. Like, uh, I was taught this example. I think it's so brilliant that oftentimes in life, you know, faith and fear is the exact same. It takes the exact same energy, right? To believe in like, cause faith is believing in something that we don't see. And fear is believing in something that like we don't see, you know? Mm. And so I'm a big sports person. I don't know how many people who listen to your show love sports, but I imagine people know who the new England Patriots are. Yes. Okay. And so two years ago, was it two years ago? I think it was, they were playing the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl, And like the half time score was like 28 to three, like looked really bad. So the example I use is this, right? This is the example that was taught to me was 
imagine that you're on your way home, that you had to work on Super Bowl Sunday. And you told all of your friends, like, do not tell me the score. I, I DVR'd it. I'm going to go home and watch it. I get off at midnight tonight. I'm going to spend four hours watching the game. Do not tell me what happens. And like you turn off like your cell phone, you turn everything off so you can drive home. No news, no nothing, no whatever. And the instant you're about to watch the game, somehow like your friend calls you and all of a sudden it's like, dude, we won. And you're just like, oh my gosh. Now you know the outcome of the game. Yeah. Okay. So after the first quarter, the Patriots are down, but you're not really sad because you know they're going to win. And then at halftime, it's 28 to three when everyone else is like, oh my God, they're going to lose. You're like, oh my God, how the hell is this going to happen? Like what, what good is going to come in the second half? (laughs) And again, just imagine, like, I forget the exact way the game went, but imagine it's literally the fourth quarter and your team is down like 30 points, but you know, the end of the game. So you're not freaking out. You're actually more excited in that last little bit because you have absolute certainty of what the outcome is. Mm. The challenges in life, we don't create that outcome. We don't think about that outcome. We think about all of the things that we don't want to happen. And that's what happens to us then. So imagine it's like, okay, that thousand dollars, like I want to make that thousand dollars. And it's like the last week of the month and you haven't made any money. What most people do is they get discouraged and like, I don't know where it's going to come from. Whereas people who kind of make things happen, and by the way, I don't, I have not mastered this skill. This is still something I work on every single day is instead of getting discouraged, we get excited. And we're like, I have no idea where it's going to come from, like, but I'm so excited to figure out where it's going to come from. I just can't wait. I'm just going to have this, this expectation, and I'm going to put in the work. Those are the two things is expectation or certainty, right, and putting in the work. Because like um, Jim Carrey said it this way. He's like, you can't visualize something and set an intention and then just go like make a sandwich. Like you actually have to put in the work too, you know? Right. So having that expectation, like I know that thousand bucks is coming. I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm going to do everything I can and have that absolute joy and certainty that that thousand dollars is going to be there. Yeah. Right. And that's when it happens. But you know, my, my, my second grade teacher didn't teach me how to do this. So that's why it's so hard for adults to figure it out. Right. It's not yet ingrained until we figure out how to ingrain it. Yeah. All right. Let me get into some of these questions for you. Sure. Um, well, so I just want to, I know we're like really far in here now, but a little bit of backstory about how you and I know each other is from Alex Beaton's Instagram story challenge back in maybe October or no- November of last yes, year. Yes, yes. Um, and you and your wife participated. And I remember watching both of your stories and thinking this is the kind of dynamic so many of us ladies can only dream about until we find it for ourselves. And I think you two are adorable and you do a great job as a husband to talk her up and vocalize your appreciation for her. So props to you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, of course. And um, so all I really know about you besides, you know, that what we kind of hit on a little bit that you're in financial education Mm -hmm. is um, pretty much that and that you're really interested in financial well-being. And this is such an important topic of discussion because unfortunately – as you mentioned, they don't teach you these things growing up. Yeah. Uh, so now being that we're all adults in need of financial answers and sometimes a miracle, that's where you come into play, I assume. Yeah. So short version is I would explain it this way. Like every single person has this dream life that they want to live and they're not living that dream life. That's not the problem. The problem is they don't know how to get from where they are to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, the financial industry is very sales and quota driven. Or actually, maybe I didn't mention that. I don't know. And so what happens is oftentimes people will go um, uh, to like the bank 
and they assume that the bank offers everything, but the bank doesn't offer everything. Or they go to a financial advisor. But again, the financial advisor doesn't offer everything. Right. Because their business model is based on pushing certain products. Right. And so what happens is I actually work with a company and the, the basic premise of it uh, is that the, like we're not the investment company. We're not the money management company. We don't we're not the insurance company. We don't have any of our own financial but we're contracted with over 200 different financial companies, right? And they're all the big ones that people have heard of, investment companies, uh, insurance companies, money management companies. So what we essentially do is we sit in the middle and we just teach people about how all the different accounts work and all the pros and cons, right? Because there's no such thing as a perfect financial plan, right? right? Uh, there's always pros and cons. There's always trade-offs and and you can't get something for nothing, essentially. And so we just teach people all that stuff. And we teach them things about increasing your cash flow and debt management and, you know, uh, managing their budget and uh, saving for emergency funds and long-term savings and retirement and cost planning. Li literally everything to do with finances, we'll teach them about it. And then we'll say, here's your options. You've got option A, you've got option B, you've got option C, and they're all good, right? They're just different. Which one do you feel is like a better option? And then we'll actually open the accounts for our clients with the financial companies. Okay. Mm. But we do it all as a free service because instead of charging the client to do all that work, we charge the companies. They pay us out of their advertising, and their marketing budgets. Right. So essentially all we're doing is educating clients and teaching them about how the accounts work. And when we find one that they need, we will open it for them and get paid out of because it's very expensive to advertise. Right. Right. And so, again, long story short, like our clients are happy because they essentially get an unbiased service. My bias is not towards the companies. My advice is towards my clients doing what, to, what they need, right? They don't have to pay us for the service. They're getting connected with name brand financial companies. Mm -hmm. The financial companies are happy because they didn't do any work. We did all the work for them. Right. Okay? But for them, for, for any type of business, it's about the lifetime value of a client. Because most companies, they like, especially if they spend a bunch of money advertising, is they don't really see a return on those advertising dollars until like year three, four, or five of having that client account. Mm. Right. So what happens is they want their client to stick with them long term. So because we did all of the work and we pre-screened and we found the client who needs exactly what the company's the best at has a lot has a higher chance of sticking with that company long term. And then we're happy because to be perfectly honest, they pay us very well. The financial industry is like the third highest paying industry in the United States behind sports and entertainment. So I always use the stupid joke of uh, unless I'm going to be Justin Bieber or LeBron James or Beyonce or something like that, this is the industry where people make money. We just don't make it from our clients' pockets. We make it from the company's much bigger pockets. Mm. And the, the way we do it because we do it as a free service is most of the people that work for our company, like the, a lot of people get into the financial industry because they can make a bunch of money. Right. Right. But we actually do it in a way where we bring in people part time and we don't have any quotas because we do it through education. And so they 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 start working with our company because of the mission and the crusade of like helping every single family that's out there. It doesn't matter if they have a bunch of money or they don't have any money. Because what happened with me was uh, so I was actually a college professor before, but I had 75 grand in student loan debt. No idea how I was going to pay it off. And I was an adjunct professor. So I had to teach six classes at four different colleges. I wasn't like a full time tenured professor. Oh my goodness. Okay. And so I just start uh, my Amy and I, my wife and I just became clients with our company just to save money because I kind of was really serious about saving money, but I didn't know how. And then what happened was they actually wanted to interview me a few months later just to work with them part time. And so I got started and went through my licensing phase and all that. And I was still teaching six classes a semester, but I would work with a client a month. But what happened was it was towards the end of my first year. I actually sat with two clients in one week, which was really rare for me because it was usually just once a month. 
And my first client I sat with, it was a single mom. She's still a client of mine, but she had 50 bucks in her bank account and she had no idea how she was going to pay rent and buy groceries that next week for her two kids. And we were sitting down trying to figure out a way for her to save 20 bucks a month and get out of debt. Whoa. No other financial company is going to focus on a woman like that because they can't make any money. Mm-hmm. And even like, uh, to be perfectly honest, I didn't really make that much money from helping that client, but she needed the help. And that's what I was there for. But then my next appointment a couple days later was with a married couple, uh, dual income, couple of kids, beautiful house, beautiful cars, beautiful kitchen, beautiful backyard, just looked like on the outside they had it going on. Yeah. Their, their, their income after taxes was about $400,000 which is pretty good, especially in Southern California, everywhere else in the country, other than New York and California, it'd be like, oh my God, they're like, you know, like living the rich life. Right. You know, obviously it's still a lot of money, but what both families had in common is that family who's making 400 grand, they were still broke, right? Because like I said earlier, when we make more money in this country, we spend more money and no one had ever talked to them about finances before. Wow. And so that's where it became more of a passion and a crusade for me to actually leave teaching and work with my company full time. And so that's when I actually, it took about two years before I made that decision. And then the end of my third year, I quit teaching and came full time. That's amazing. Wow. Because I didn't grow up like as a kid, you know, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, played all the way through college. It was great. Um, but if you asked me when I was six years old, what do I want to be when I grow up? I did not say, I want to work in the financial industry and wear a suit and teach people. Right. Wasn't my biggest goal and dream in life. <laughs> wow. So yeah, and then Amy and I have been married for about three years now. And uh, she's awesome because she actually uh, does so much behind the scenes just to keep me sane, you know. And um, I think that's the thing too about when you look at people who are really successful and however you want to define that, uh, they're usually successful in multiple different areas. Yep. You know, um, they're good with their finances. They're good with their fitness. They're good in their relationships and stuff like that. And so, you know, Amy, again, like Amy is an amazing woman because there are days where I put in 12 hour days, you know, and she loves spending time with me. And there's times where she has to sacrifice that too. But the idea is this is like as a couple, this is also really important too for maybe people who are single right now and want to be in a relationship or people who are in a relationship is you have to have common values and common goals, Right. Um, and so Amy is on board, like we have family goals, like that she and I both want to accomplish. And so there are times where she'll be like disappointed that I'm going to have a long day at work. Cause she's like, I just, I, I'm not going to get to see you. You leave like right when I'm waking up and you get home and I'm like going to bed. But again, it's like either I will remind her or she'll remind herself of like, we're sacrificing now so that later we don't have to, we can still be happy and thankful in the present. Right. But in order to get to where we want to get to, our common vision, it requires sacrifice right now. So Amy does, she sacrifices so much. Uh, she sacrifices time with me. Um, you know, she sacrifices, there's times where like, she wants to buy something. And I'm like, right now, like we need to save that money for X, Y, and Z. Um, and you know, so she, she understands that, you know, we're trying to get to a point where we have a little bit more stability. And, you know, three years, I, like I always say it this way, we're, we're in an industry where it's, we can make good money. I know some other people, it's very difficult. Like if they're a barista at Starbucks, I get that, like their income's limited. But again, Amy and I have this vision together of where we're going to be in the next year, two and three, where three or four or five years from now, money's not going to have to be that big of a deal that we're going to have that stability that she can go buy the tickets to see Ariana Grande at the drop of a hat and not have to ask me. 
Right. You know, um, one of my goals is actually to give because like I'm I'm not someone who's like believes in traditional gender roles. Like I'm all for men and women like date stay at home dads and, you know, women who are the primary breadwinners fired up. Awesome. Right. But the way that I guess I would say I was raised or the belief that I have is that I want to be someone where when Amy makes money, she can spend it on whatever the heck she wants, whether it's for vacations, whether it's to buy something for herself, whether it's to, you know, buy a new car for me or something like that, where my income basically takes care of our savings and bills and her money can be on whatever the heck we want, Mm. you know? Um, and again, I don't mean that to be in like a derogatory way where it's like, you know, I just, I just want to work hard, you know? Um, again, don't always succeed. There's days where I'm lazy too, but, um, it's the concept. This is actually, uh, I learned this concept from a book called ego is the enemy by Ryan Holiday. And uh, he talks about this concept of an antembulo, A-N-T-E-A-M, like and team, and then B-U-L-O. And the concept was like in, in Roman history, um, very successful like politicians or wealthy people, right? They would hire someone who would basically walk in the street and clear the path for them to make it easier for the person to get from point A to point B. And so in that book, like the way he kind of explains it, and I took it was like, you know, to, to be successful, you kind of have to be the antimbulo for your family or for your team or for your business or for your clients where you're doing the hard work. You're the one who's, you know, pushing aside. You're the one who's in the crowd getting pushed around and this and that. But your job is to make it easier for your, you know, your employer to get to where they want to get to. And so I try to apply that to my relationship with Amy. It's like, what can I do to make her life easier? You know, and she does it for me too. By the way, you know, she thinks of how she, how she can make my life easier or, um, you know, how can I do it for my family, for my mom and retire her? How can I do it for my team? You know? So, um, again, another random tangent, but, uh, Amy, yeah, she just, she, gosh, she's awesome. And, uh, she's actually not here right now, but so all of that, I was not saying that cause she's here. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I would say actually, again, a piece of advice for people is if they're not in a relationship, is to when they're getting into a relationship, like think about what their values are, you know, with money, with, with spirituality, with fitness and stuff like that, and have those common goals together. So when you have to make sacrifices, you make sacrifices together and know where you're headed. Yeah, that's great advice. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. So she works with you? She does that as well? She actually doesn't work with me. So she doesn't sit with clients. Um, she doesn't run the business necessarily, but um, there's so much more, you know, I mean, it, it just so happens right now that we have more traditional old school gender roles. So Amy right now is actually in between. She's looking for another job where she can make a little bit of money. She's actually um, going through a coaching program right now. She was actually had a lot of, um, I'll guess I'll use the word success um, studying, uh, the Enneagram and going through some of the stuff. Do you know much about Enneagram? Have you looked into any of that? No, one person, actually my friend that I interviewed, that's, um, that I'm posting this week, she talked about it and I've yet okay. to look into it. So thank you for reminding me. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so again, that's probably a sign then it's t- mentioned to you twice, right? Yep. Um, uh, so again, we're big on self-exploration. You know, we totally believe that it's this concept of in order to have something, you must do something. In order to do something, you must be something. And so who do we want to be? 
And so what a lot of the stuff that we study or like her Enneagram stuff, it kind of just helps us understand who we are and what good qualities we have and what things we struggle with. So that way we can kind of notice our, our mental patterns and kind of stop them so we can be healthy. And so she had a lot of success with that and she has seen a lot of personal growth. So she's actually studying right now to kind of uh, be like an Enneagram coach, you know, not necessarily a therapist. I didn't use that word because there's no like she didn't go to school. She doesn't have a degree for that, but it would more just be like one-on-one coaching or like corporate coaching of like, here's the Enneagram and here's how it works. Here's how you can apply it to yourself. And uh, so she's working on that right now. Um, but again, we had a discussion where, you know, Amy, Amy wants to make her own money and I'm totally good with that. Um, but we're at a point where she doesn't need to make her own money, you know? And, uh, so she's studying to do that right now. She also works with a company called Stella and Dot. You know, um, that's what some of her Instagram stuff is about, too, um, is uh, she's a, you know, independent uh, rep for a jewelry and accessory company. But again, that's not really the business that she wants to uh, be full time with. You know, she she knows that our business, the financial education business is really good. It's going to make our goals and dreams come true. She just wants to find where she can have the most impact on the world. That's where she's at right now. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Um, Yeah. Speaking of these tests. Have you two looked into human design? Human design. No, I'm going to have to write that down then. Human design. Okay. Yes, because the same friend that brought up Enneagrams to me, I had uh, brought up human design to her and I was like the third person to have mentioned it probably I think within a week to her. Okay. So she was like, "Okay, I really need to look into this." And I actually yeah. just on my way out of work saw her post on her Instagram story that she just got her chart read and everything like that for human design. She said it was the most transformative 180 minutes of her life. Wow. Okay. Yes. And I think as, I mean, as an individual, it's extremely helpful, but also as a couple to know what each other are and, and how you receive and how you exert your energy. It's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And, And highly beneficial, I believe. Yeah. So just for any of your audience that actually listens and they they or they uh, they do Enneagram stuff, um, I am actually uh, almost 99% sure I'm what's called a type two, called the helper. And my wife, Amy, is actually type four, which they uh, they call like the romantic. Uh, they have some other names, too. But so if anyone listens, because um, type two, like being a helper, generally speaking, we're not like the go-getters. We're not like the get after it. We're not like the work, 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 work. Mm. Um, but sometimes I can come off that way. And that's because like, I've, I've been able to be lucky enough to be mentored by people who had skills that were in different areas than me, you know, but to those of you who care, I am a type two. <laughs> that's so cool. I can't wait to look into it. Yeah. Because she spoke very highly of it as well. Good. Yeah. Um, all right. So I feel like a lot of our financial thoughts come stem from our childhood. So I'm mm-hmm. curious what your childhood was like. I mean, not necessarily financially, yeah. but just to, if you could sum up childhood for you, like, and where did you grow up? And do you have yeah. siblings and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So that's really interesting. I've been telling that story a lot lately. So um, I grew up in a place called Westminster, California. It's in Orange County. Um, it is close to Long Beach, California, if anyone kind of knows that geography. And I actually grew up. To be perfectly honest, I grew up in a really great environment. Um, Both my parents were married. They had a great relationship. They were married at 21 and 19, so they married young, but they didn't have my brother and I until they were like 27 and 30. So they really had a strong marriage by the time they had us. And growing up, 
again, my parents worked. We were never rich. We were never poor. We were very middle class. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I never had to worry about food on the table. So 100% well aware of the fact that I came up with a lot of, of privilege that other people didn't, right? However, when I was five, my dad almost died, actually. Uh, my dad was 35, and he had a really rare blood bacteria disease or infection and had to have open-heart surgery at age 35 because one of his aortic valves had disintegrated, and uh, his heart stopped on the table. It was like code blue, literally almost died. And um, I think I'm I'm – I'm literally going through this right now. Um, I think that had a huge impact on my upbringing because it's interesting. Uh, again, another part of my dad's story was that he uh, he told me the story years later. Um, when he woke up after the surgery, he woke up and he's like, I don't know if it was the drugs I was on, if I was hallucinating. I don't know if it was a real spiritual uh, encounter that I had. He's like, but I woke up and there was no one in the hospital. There was no nurses. There was no doctors. But there was a very dark, shadowy figure sitting in the corner of the room, uh, like 10 feet from the bed. And it stayed there, and it would not move closer to the bed because there was a really light force sitting right next to the bed that would not move and would not leave. And he's like, it felt like it was ours. And he's like, it was just sitting there. And nothing, no words, no nothing, but just like this energy. And then um, he actually, when he woke up, it, everything was back to normal. And he told my mom, he's like, I think I was supposed to die that day. I think like that was my time. But for some reason, I've been given more time. And so my dad kind of knew that his time was probably limited and they didn't know how much more time he would have. So because of that, like my family was very loving, you know, and but I think that impacted me because um, even subconsciously, just not knowing how long my dad was going to be around. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, when I was 19, um, just starting college, my dad went in for surgery with his parathyroid and there was a complication, a blood clot burst in his body. Uh, three days after the surgery, he passed away and totally rocked me, right? Because my dad actually had a master's degree in finance, so he came from a financial background, but I didn't learn any of that stuff because I was playing baseball, I was playing sports, I was, you know, an average student, but I really, really wasn't an adult yet. Mm. You know, so I went through a really heavy depression, uh, went through some really tough experiences. I really had to grow up fast, you know? And um, so that, I think that really, that was the, the two biggest events that really impacted me when it came to my upbringing was lo almost losing my dad at five. And I probably wouldn't even like at five, I probably didn't know what was going on, but that energy is still what I'm growing up with. And my dad took a lot of medication. Um, you know, he struggled with like his weight because of some of the complications he carried on more weight than most people. Um, and so I think a lot of that impacted me. And then after I lost my dad, that it was super heavy. Yeah. So I think maybe that kind of also impacted just how I, I feel about money or how I feel about relationships and stuff like that. Um, that's why stability is so important to me is because I feel like that stability, I had that from age five to age 19 because my parents did a very good job of giving me that. But then after 19, it was all gone. Right. I think that's why it's so important to me and my, and, and me giving that to, to Amy and myself right now because of those experiences growing up. So how old was your dad when he passed after being 30? Oh, well, he said he was yeah. 35 he, when you were five. Yeah. So he passed away. He was 50 years old. Okay. Yeah. So not, not necessarily young, but definitely not old. Right. You know? So, so yeah, that was, uh, what is it now? That was probably about 16, 17 years ago. It's 2003. So yeah, 16 years ago about. Wow. And it's wild that the first story he was in the hospital and the second story he was also in the hospital and it ended up being in the hospital. 
yeah. that it happened. Oh, yeah. Two surgeries. Yeah. Right. Wow. So what do you think is the most common advice that your clients often need to hear? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, man. Most common advice. Um, I would say two things, actually. Um, number one is this, is if we're not financially independent, right? In other words, if we haven't saved up enough money or have enough money income coming in from other sources that we don't need to worry about money anymore. If we're not financially independent, that means we need to save money, right? When is the most important time to start saving money? And everyone says now. And I'm like, well, actually 20 years ago, right? <laughs> but, you know, yeah. So, it, and again, so one of the biggest common piece of advice is, again, it's not necessarily about the dollar figure today. It's about the habit and then we can build towards that dollar figure we need to save later on. I would say that's number one. Number two, I think, is this, is sometimes I just want to tell my clients that, you know, I actually tell them this sometimes. No one's going to care more about their money than they do. Not anyone else. Not me. Not some other financial advisor. Not a bank. Not their parents or their brother-in-law or someone who wants them to invest in something. No one's going to care more about their money than they do. And you know, I can't manage their money for them. I can't give them an allowance. I can't tell them what to spend their money on, nor is it my job to tell them what to spend their money on, but that they're going to have to actually, I don't want to say like make that commitment, but they're going to have to take ownership. Right. Um, I think a lot of times people want to blame other people for what's going on in their life and they'll take credit for all the good, but they won't take credit for the bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone who honestly believes this is that not everything is our fault, but everything is our responsibility. So it's not your fault that maybe you grew up in poverty, but it is your responsibility if you stay there. Mm. It wasn't my fault that my dad passed away at 19, but it was my responsibility to learn how to live a life without him, mm. right? It's not your fault that, you know, you, again, this one might be really controversial. It's not your fault that you were born in a country that gives white males, maybe a little bit more leeway than if you're a person of color or a woman. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to figure out how you're going to actually improve your life. Mm -hmm. Right. I know that's really controversial because I don't think a lot of people want to take personal responsibility for their actions. Right. Because I know a lot of people shouldn't say a lot of people. I know some people who grew up in privilege and didn't build the habits to keep that privilege. Yes. And I know people who are born without any privilege, who built the habits and the discipline to gain privilege. Right. And I think sometimes that's what I want to say to my clients too, is like, I can't take responsibility for your finances. I can help you and guide you and coach you and explain things and help open the accounts and review things with you. But at the end of the day, you are 100% responsible for your financial life, your financial stability and your financial independence. Yeah. And that goes with everything, finances especially. Yeah. I mean, health, everything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not your fault that you were born with some sort of genetic issue that makes it to where, you know, you carry more weight than other people. But it is your responsibility to take care of it. Right. What I would encourage people to do is you got to start small. You can't overhaul it in a night. So again, because I'm actually, uh, I, I run my own business, so I don't have a W-2, right? So I actually have to pay all my taxes. So we just keep receipts for everything. And I think a good idea, I'm not, I don't always succeed in this, but a good idea is once a month, if you're a business owner, 
is to, and you don't have like a bookkeeper, is to review your receipts and categorize them and just create like a day where like the first Sunday of the month, you just take the time to go over that, you know? Um, the other thing that I do is I actually do have an Excel spreadsheet and I just have all of my fixed bills and I have every day that it comes out, right? And so what I'll do is I'll actually, I'll go ahead and I'll manually like update, not update, like I don't keep track of like expenses like I do with my you need a budget account. But on like my Excel spreadsheet, I just check like what are my absolute fixed bills? It's called like your monthly nut. And so I know the exact amount of money that I absolutely positively must make in order to give money away and save money and pay my bills. Right. Mm -hmm. So I actually have that number in mind. So what happens is usually once a week, I will go through my you need a budget and I'll just look at my expenses and make sure everything's good. Um, but in the beginning, I had to look at it more often because I wasn't in the habit, you know. So I think it's good to just have a system to track your expenses. Um, I don't care if you write it down on a piece of paper. I don't care if it's an Excel spreadsheet. I don't care if it's a mint.com. You need a budget, something like that. And at least once a week, just sit down and review it. It's even just the the action. It's it because it, I think what happens is sometimes people don't want to look. They don't want to take objective reality of where they're at. Yes. Yes. Right. It's kind of like with weight. Um, if you want to lose weight, the the hardest part is just getting on the scale and acknowledging all of the decisions you made to get to where you are. Yeah. So I think that's that's the thing is just writing out all of the absolute monthly bills that you have and the dates they come out, having a way to track those expenses and just acknowledge where you're at, and then once a week minimum. Once a week, it usually takes me about an hour um, just to review my expenses and see where our income's at and um, go over those bills and make sure they're paid and, and, and all that stuff. So I would say, you know, whether it's Saturday, whether it's Sunday, um, it's not fun. I'll just kind of say that. I mean, you can tell yourself it's fun. I think that's a good affirmation, right? Like managing money is fun and managing money is a joy and managing money is exciting. And so I, I totally believe in telling yourself it's fun. But if you really want to be honest, like I'm not a numbers person, you know, to be perfectly honest, but it's about the habit and the discipline of just doing it and doing it and doing it. Yeah. Right. That's good right. advice. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I think, um, I think, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I have so much to learn, but I do like when I get my paycheck every Friday and it's in my bank on Saturday and I go into my app and I transfer certain money to the certain, you know, account yeah. my, where it's just my rent money and yeah. and then has a little bit extra for like my other bills. Yeah. Um, and I do that right away because yeah. otherwise it's in there and I think it's there. So, yeah, because I think, too, this is something like I always talk to people about guilt free spending. Like it's okay to spend money. I think it's crazy. A lot of people going back to the beliefs and everything, they're obsessively good savers, but that's out of fear still. Mm. Right. So they have a bunch of money saved, but they won't spend anything because yeah. they're afraid it's not going to come back to them. And it's like, that's a bad affirmation too. Mm. So I tell people, it's like, if they're giving money away and they're saving money, short-term, long-term, all that, then it's okay to go spend money. Right. It's okay to go, you know, have a, get a massage. Right or go to an extra movie or something like that. Like, I don't want people to think like, if you want to save money, you have to live this Spartan lifestyle and not have any fun. Yeah. Right. But then we go the opposite direction where it's like, oh, like you only have today and like <laughs> live in the now. And it's like, okay, well, yeah. But what happens if you live in the now every single day for the next 50 years? Right. Treat yourself right? Monday, treat yourself exactly. Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I, I want people to, to treat themselves and live a Spartan lifestyle. Yeah. Right. Like I tell people to like, once they give money away and spend money or sorry, give money away and save money, 
that it's okay to spend money on the things that they love, but they should ruthlessly cut costs and things that don't matter to them. Right. So like, if you're like, you know, I like having a nice place for friends to come over because I like hosting, then it's cool to spend a little bit more money on an apartment rent. But just know that you're probably not going to be able to go out and go, you know, to the bars all the time because you're spending money on something that you love. Right. So that's what I would really encourage people to do as they're going through their budget, as they're looking at the things they spend money on, just having objective reality and recognizing the things that they don't value that they could probably cut. Yeah, I love that. I think I wouldn't be able to be so as content as I am about my finances right now if I didn't stop going out as much. I just don't need to go out as much. And then I have I enjoy myself way more when I do go out and see the people that yeah. I love and hang out with and have drink a little too much sometimes. <laughs> okay. Lastly, just to get into the realm of wellness, do you have a wellness routine? And if so, what is it? Sure. So, uh, first thing I would talk about is that I'm actually making it a, um, more of a priority for my physical health. I actually kind of ignored that the past couple of years. Um, luckily I have, you know, at age 35, I still have some metabolism that's kind of still faster than most. So even when I do eat bad food, you know, I don't carry as much weight as, as some other people. However, um, for me, wellness is less about the physical. I mean, the physical still matters to me, but it's more about like my heart. Like I think about my dad, like my dad, I was 35 or sorry, my dad was 35 when he almost died. I am turning 35. Right. And even though it was like a rare blow, yeah, I am 35. My wife just reminded me I am officially <laughs> today 35. Right. Um, so it's yes, obviously like, again, I'm not someone who's like, you shouldn't care about how your body looks. It's like, no, like if you feel good, right? Like if you actually like how your body looks, that's not a bad thing, you know? So the, the physical aspect is obviously nice. And I'm sure Amy, you know, she, she likes looking at a physically fit Chris too. Um, but it's more about just having my heart healthy. So kind of the wellness routine that I do have is that, um, in the mornings, right. I take my dog for a walk. So I at least get out and I have some sunshine. Um, I try to get at least 30 minutes of a walk or a workout in just to say, at least I move my body for 30 minutes. Okay. So I try to do that. Um, right now I take about an hour to meditate and I go through a routine of that about, and again, you could look it up too. It's through Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I mentioned earlier to one of his like meditation sequences. And just focusing on an hour of like working on myself and visualizing. So that kind of takes care of my, my spiritual and my mental health. You know, um, I try to drink half my body weight an ounce of water daily. Um, I try to make sure that at least two meals out of the day are like good, clean food. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's times where one of those meals kind of has to be not that healthy. Or if I have a really late night, my willpower is down. And so I eat junk food and it never makes me feel good. Um, but again, it's just at least try to have two meals that are not junk. Right. Um, so I try to do that. Um, I do include prayer in my meditation session. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I think that's kind of my wellness routine right now. The meditation, the 30 minutes of movement, the uh, drinking half my body weight and water. Yeah, I'd say that's the wellness routine right now. Amazing. Yeah. Water is a hard one for me. I don't know why it is so difficult. I don't know if it's because, you know, super fun spots? No. Okay. So apparently there are places called super fun spots. Okay. And um, they're essentially just like a really toxic environment. And oh. I live and work in super fun spots. 
Oh, so no. like I know, I know, it kills yeah. me. Yeah. Um. So I try not to think about it because I yeah. found out after I've already worked and lived, started working and living there. But yeah. And they're two separate spots, mind you. They just both are one here in Brooklyn. Oh, that's crazy. I know. So drinking the water, and yeah, you can filter it. You can do all that kind of stuff. But like, sure. You just, it doesn't feel safe. So it's like, okay, yeah. well, what's more safe? Drinking a little less water from these faucets or drinking a lot of water because you need it? <laughs> yeah. Well, so one thing I would encourage you is, I don't know, how. however you can get the clean water, right? What I do to keep me on track is when I'm taking my morning shower, like I try to drink at least like this jug right here that I'm drinking out of that you see, that's like 27 ounces. I try to drink one of them while I'm taking my morning shower. In the right, shower. just to, exactly because after sleeping all night, you're dehydrated, right? And so you have to rehydrate yourself to kind of get your brain functioning, you know. So I try to do that. At least that gets me started. So that way, throughout the day, if I forget to drink water, at least I did drink one of the giant like jugs before I even started my day, mm -hmm. you know. And what happens then is usually it makes it easier to drink water through the rest of the day because I'm like, oh, I don't have to drink as much. Mm. Interesting. So that's a little trick that I learned from someone. Yeah. I drink a cup of tea in the morning and it feels good because it's like it's boiled. So that's yeah. good. And, yeah. and it's a, a cup of water, <laughs> but yeah. it's only one. Well, I mean, only one. The other thing is you can boil water at night and the next morning just pour it into something and drink it. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Just changed your life right now. You literally did. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. I'm, I'm excited, actually, right now. I'm really excited. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, last question. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you wish we spoke about, something I didn't ask, or something intuitive that you would like to share with us? Oh, Allie, to be perfectly honest, this was – you are so good at what you do. I don't know if, how many people tell you that, but, like, literally, just your spirit, your energy, all of the questions you asked were just so good. Like, I literally wish I had eight hours to talk to you, but I didn't. We even went, I just realized we went like two hours. I know. I'm um, so sorry. <laughs> but no, but no, don't apologize. Um, it, it was an absolute pleasure. You are amazingly talented. You are sharp. You are smart. You're doing good work in the world. Um, you're trying to improve people's lives. Um, you know, even just looking at you through the computer, um, <laughs> I can just tell that you just, you genuinely, genuinely, genuinely care about people. And I appreciate that. I appreciate your dedication, your commitment, your word of the year uh, to doing that and putting in the work because it's not always easy. And um, it was so much fun. We covered so much freaking topics. Like I literally have no idea how we got on some of the topics we did. But like you said, like sometimes those organic conversations are just, you know, where, where it's at. Um, and you've actually made me kind of think about things that I need to reflect on. You know, and I want to encourage everyone to, that to too that whatever we talked about today, I always encourage people to reflect on what they've kind of learned because so many people like they'll listen to podcasts and they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's really good. But they never reflect on it and let it sink in. Right. And just you just ask so many good questions that that uh, that lead to that reflection. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, like whatever is going on right now. Like, just keep pushing through it and keep doing it because, like, I could see you in a year, two, three, four years literally just having some sort of podcast or business that's going to change people's lives. So oh thank you so much for having me on. It was an absolute privilege to be on your podcast. Oh, my goodness. Oh my thank you so much for saying all that. That was so unexpected and so kind. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're um, 
but it has been a pleasure on my end as well. And happy birthday. Um, Thank you so much. Yes. Hey, 30 days from now, you check in with me and tell me how it's going, giving that dollar away every single day. I will. And how great I feel with all my boiled water. (laughs) Yes. Can I ask what your, what your takeaway from this was like just one? Yeah, honestly, we can always improve. I can always be better with money. Like when you're asking me about like what my routine with my bills are, I'm like, man, I haven't been as on it as I should be. Or I I, I actually don't want to use the word should. If I use the word should at any point in this podcast, I apologize because I do not like shooting on people. Right. Um, but, uh, it's something that I want to do better. Right. Right. I, and, and, um, I know that I can be better. It's, I need to be responsible. I want to be responsible because it's not just my finances. It's my wife and it's my mom and it's my family. Like, you know, that's, that's something that that's one of the takeaways I have. Number one. Um, and number two, honestly, one of my takeaways, and this might seem like, I hope it doesn't sound arrogant is like, I've been in the industry for about five years now, and I can't believe how much I've learned and how much my mindset has changed. Because if you would have interviewed me five years ago, oh my gosh, I would have had like none of these answers. I would have had none of this content. I would have had none of these mindset shifts. I would have had none of these little tricks and tips. And so it gets me excited to think about, oh my gosh, what are the next five years going to be? What else am I going to learn? And and what other challenges am I going to have that's going to make me stronger? And just like reflecting literally on everything that I've gone through and come out of and learn from it. Literally, this was very therapeutic isn't the right word, but therapeutic in a way just for me to go through some of that. So thank you so much for allowing me to go on that journey with you right now. Oh my gosh, thank you. Yeah, I love that. Other people have mentioned that it's somewhat therapeutic for them to be on here, and I think that is so cool. And I think that probably in itself brings something to somebody listening. Yes. To be going through some kind of transformation ourselves right here. Yes. Well, thank you, and happy birthday. Oh, wait, where can we find you? Oh, okay, good. So again, you can find me on Instagram. To be perfectly honest, I have not been on my Instagram game lately, so I'm going to get back onto that. You can follow it at the Kennison Factor, um, and you can obviously follow Amy along too. I think she's at uh, at Amy underscore Kennison underscore. There's an underscore at the end too, um, so you can follow her along. Um, Amy and I literally just yesterday were talking that we might be starting our own podcast too, and we're developing that. So we will absolutely we're going to ask you to come on. And be Aww. a guest of ours too. Oh my goodness! Um, and let me know if you guys have any questions. Yes, yes. And uh, but those are probably as of right now just uh, just on Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me probably or follow along or ask any questions too. If anyone has any questions, um, again, I could tell people this right now. Uh, I can always answer general questions, but if it's anything specific about like financial accounts. I can't w- I can't give general advice to specific questions because of compliance. I could lose all of my licenses. They can still ask, but I might have to say, hey, sorry, I can't answer that. Um, but again, there's always ways that I can answer those questions with more information. That's all I would say. But general questions, mindset questions, anything about goal setting, any of that stuff, 100% always they can DM me and I'll try to respond as fast as I can. Amazing. And thank yes. thank Amy for letting you spend so much time here before your night out. But I hope I you two have a lovely evening and enjoy yes. the rest of your birthday. Thank and you. Thank you. And we'll be in touch. All right. Sounds good, Allie. All right. Bye, Chris. Bye. Welp, that is a wrap, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today, tonight, this morning, whatever time of day you were listening to this. I hope you enjoyed my conversation here with Chris 
about all things financial well-being. And let's, who's down for a challenge? I think it would be really fun to get all of us in on a 30-day giveaway May. So every day for May, wait, 30 days, it's September, April, June, and November. Okay, so there are 31 days in May. But, okay, so we're going to do 31 days. Well, then it doesn't rhyme. Okay, we're going to do it anyway. Whatever, you decide. 30 days, 30-day giveaway for May or 31, that's fine too. Um, but we're going to give $1 away each day as a, a group, as a whole, as a well and why community. I think that would be so much fun to talk about how we feel and maybe a little story about what happened in your life because of this little challenge going on. And sometimes it's just fun to have a little something extra going on in your month, you know, or your day even. But I mean, if it's just a day, it's so much better if it's a week or two or three or four. Okay, so this is the challenge. Every single day, you give away a dollar. So towards the end of this month in April, take $30 or 31 out of your bank and get singles but don't take them to the strip club. <laughs> Try really hard not to do that. Um, also, I just wanted to say thank you so much for bearing with my audio. This was actually the most difficult conversation I have ever dealt with. And it's great. I loved the challenge because I really want to get good at this. So how else do you get good if you're not challenged? I believe we even spoke about that in this conversation. So I also actually just bought a new software that I'm really excited about. Um, that should be helpful going forward, but I just didn't have enough time to learn about it and edit this episode all at the same time to get this out for its, it's publish day. <laughs> I was going to say launch day, but is it really a launch if the podcast is already launched? I mean, I guess this episode needs to be launched. I don't know. You don't really want to join all my thoughts, I suppose. But lastly, I wanted to share something that I was taught once about finances. Um, this woman is brilliant. I've seen her speak. My mom has her books. Um, her name is Neil Godfrey. She's the author of Money Doesn't Grow on Trees, A Parent's Guide to Raising Financially Responsible Children. First of all, that's awesome. Second of all, my mom bought this book for us when we were little and never read it to us. And I'm bitter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because it's my responsibility now. It's not my fault that she didn't read it to me. <laughs> it's hers. <laughs> just kidding. Love you, mom. Um, anyway, that every person, there are multiple financial personalities and we all have one. I don't remember what they are. They're probably in the book, but we all have a particular way of handling our money, thinking about money as well as utilizing it. And she had the cutest story of her son that he was at the food store. He had a certain allowance. He was super young. I believe his allowance was like in change form. So obviously he didn't have much, maybe a few bucks. And the woman in front of him at the convenience store didn't have enough money for an orange 
and this little boy is watching what's going on and he said I'll get you the orange and she's like what no I'm not letting you buy me an orange and he insisted on buying this woman an orange and that's what he chose to do with his money and I think originally he was gonna get candy or something something that he doesn't often get but like this was his money he could do whatever he wants with it basically I need to read this book so I can raise my children in a financially responsible way and to be conscious and givers and to know that they have the power to do whatever they want with their money and to make wise choices. So that's, mm, that's about it from me. And uh, thank you again for your patience. It is so last minute. I am completing this episode and doing a lot the night before. <laughs> and I hate to admit that, but I am because this is real. <laughs> All right. Ta-ta for now.